In the Brewer household, we are getting ready for school, and so we are school shopping, school supplies, and fighting crowds, and oh man, trying on shoes, trying not to wreck everything. Gotta love back to school, right? <laughs> well, tonight, um, going to talk about a specific topic. It kind of kind of goes off what Dr. Hawkins was teaching. I don't know if he stole some of my material. I have to ask him about that. Uh, but uh, I have a question for you. So have you ever made an unwise decision? Yes. Never. <laughs> Nobody. He's, I saw it. No, she's shaking her head. <laughs> um, have you ever, you know, done something, you'd look back and you're like, man, I just wish I could have done that differently. You know, I think, yeah, I think we all have done that once or twice, three, four, five, six the hundred times, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but it could be also said that life is a series of decisions, you know. Um, right now, you're making decisions about me. You're looking at, you know, the way I look. You're, you're, you're listening to the sound of my voice. You're, you're, you're trying to understand the message that I'm bringing. You're looking around at each other. You're, you're making decisions. You're making judgment calls, and you're trying to really gain knowledge and understanding and, and trying to decide whether you're going to like it, whether you're not, whether you're going to take it home, whether you're not. You're always deciding. We're always weighing. We're always thinking and making those calculations. Um, in psychology, we, learn, we, we, we call this learned behaviors. It's called conditioning. Um, kind of works like your, your brain is made up of 100 billion neurons and your, your nervous system and your brain. And in those neurons, they're, they're dying and they're regenerating. And this is what we call neuroplasticity. And it's a fancy word that just means that your, your brain is, is moldable, it's shapeable. Kind of like when you uh, heat up plastic, plasticity. You can mold it, you can shape it until it gets hardened, right? Um, it's just a fancy word, but we can learn these behaviors and we can unlearn them. And that's really what Christian psychology is all about, biblical counseling and those kind of things. It's helping people with their life learn how to get through addictions and how to get through uh, different learned behaviors that aren't good for their life and those kind of things, mental processes. But also, I would say that, you know, just in studying this message, and I think this is one of the best word searches I've ever done in my life at Bible college was the, was the word wisdom. It really changed the way that I approach life, really changed the way that I study God's word. It really made me appreciate all those in my life who God has sent me uh, just a, a lot of wisdom. And in this room, there's a lot of wisdom, right? And, and you've blessed my family in so many different ways. Just the things that I've learned from you um, has blessed my family's life and my life. I've learned a lot from you, um, and I'm grateful for that. And so we can say those same things about our moms and our dads and our grandfathers and, uh, you know, those who are older than us that, that were put place in our life and helped us, you know, learn really how to live and how to make wise decisions. Um, and I think that apart from salvation, of course, that wisdom, it, it's crucial for the Christian. Um, it's a way that we can live in such a way that glorifies God and points to Jesus. And we make wise decisions. 
uh, I think that's, that's very important for the Christian. And I'll give you an example, and I kind of divide wisdom in two categories. One is worldly wisdom, and one is godly wisdom. We're going to focus on godly wisdom tonight, but the worldly wisdom is really um, the wisdom of humanity. Great philosophers, a lot of great thinkers out there in our history of our world, but still come up short for eternity, right? Here's an example of that, and I thought this was really interesting, and you may, you may remember it. 1998, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, he was a well-regarded scientist. He published an article in the prestigious medical journal, The Lancet, claiming that there was a link between autism and the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, MMR. Wakefield falsified much of the data in that paper, which investigative reporters in the medical community discovered that Wakefield's paper was a complete fraud. He faked his patients' medical histories. He published the results of uh, this fraudulent study all in the name of money. Medical Journal discovered that Wakefield had received $674,000 from lawyers who were hoping to sue vaccine companies. Wow. In order to get the results that the lawyers wanted, Wakefield faked his data in a couple of different ways. He chose some patients in his 12-person study who already had signs of autism, right, when they came to that study and lied about others developing autism after getting the vaccine. 2004, some of his fellow researchers found out about the law firm backing the research and withdrew their names from the study as co-authors. The Lancet retracted the paper in 2010, and Wakefield was stripped of his medical license. Wow. Wakefield and some of his fellow scientists continued to, to defend the study, saying that there was a scheme to cover up the link between vaccines and autism, but no peer-reviewed study had been able to replicate uh, Wakefield's results. And that faked paper from the 90s is having still effects on us today, isn't it? Many of you know. Uh, some parents fearing for their child's safety, they don't want to get the vaccine. And so here comes the increase in the spike in, vac in uh, the measles, right? It's a serious childhood illness. One of the most intelligent men, upcoming scientist, doctor, right? Intelligent, making a dumb decision. Just can't understand it. So, so, so what's going on? Why do intelligent people make dumb decisions? Well, we're going to look at that tonight. Even, you know, really with this study, you can spend your lifetime studying wisdom and still really only scratching the surface. And, of course, not in this lesson tonight are we going to dig too deep, but I think there are some important things that we can come away with from God's Word to help us really make wise decisions with our lives, especially as Christians, right? Uh, wisdom <clears throat> in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word called chokama, and it, what, it, what it means is, is the capacity to understand and so have skill in living implying adherence to a set standard. And we know that is the Lord's standard. Um, and, and, and here's kind of the point behind that, which is a different kind of definition of wisdom from worldly wisdom, the biblical definition. You know, because a person can be incredibly intelligent but not wise. And a person can be smart but do stupid things. And a person can be wise in the way of the world, yet come up short for eternity. And a person can even have wisdom, but turn to destruction. King Solomon, right? The, the monarchy. We've got King Saul, we've got, uh, we've got King David, and then we've got his son uh, Solomon, right? 
Solomon was the wisest man in all the earth, right, apart from Christ, wisest man to ever live. And he did a lot of amazing things, right? He, he, well, first off, he prayed the right prayer, and God honored that. Um, with knowledge and understanding came uh, great wisdom, and God blessed him with riches and honor and those kind of things uh, as well. He did some great things. He built the most spectacular temple to ever exist in the history of the world, right? The first temple. Authored much of the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, however you want to say it. He united the people of Israel in the worship of the Lord Yahweh. That was huge. He was a great teacher, and people came from all over the world to hear him teach. But he did some bad things in the latter part of his life. The first mistake was is that he turned away from the Lord. I think that is the defining characteristic of which side of the wisdom that you fall on, right? He had numerous foreign wives. Many of them were from political marriages. Uh, Deuteronomy talks about how you're not to intermarriage, you know, intermarry with foreign uh, wives and, the, and the, those kind of things. He would have known that, and yet he disobeyed, and, and he had many, over 700 um, wives. Uh, religious compromise. So he, he basically incorporated the worship of Yahweh. Yeah, that's a lot of wives. Uh, the, the worship of Yahweh, uh, also with the worship of other gods as well. Um, and also he had personal moral failure. The wisest man on earth turned away from God. And this was the beginning of sin and the decline of wisdom in his life. But those kind of decisions don't just affect you like me. The decisions that I make, the wisdom that I use, also my sons are going to be affected by that. The same the person we're going to focus in on tonight is Rehoboam, his son. Solomon's son, King Rehoboam, um, is who we're going to look at tonight. A um, little background before we look at the text together. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 12. Um, Rehoboam means he enlarges the people. Uh, the only son of King Solomon from an Ammonite princess named Naamah. 1 Kings 14.21 and 2 Chronicles 12.13 talk, uh, talk about that. He was 41, that's what I'll be this year, yay, when he ascended the throne and he ruled 17 years. So about mm, 975 B.C. is when this started. Uh, there, but there was a strong felt desire to modify the character of the government at that time. So um, basically what you have is you have the prophet Ahijah who prophesies that basically the kingdom's going to be split up at the time. You have uh, Jeroboam, right, and you have Rehoboam. Jeroboam was a servant of Solomon, his father, and uh, Rehoboam, of course, his son, the rightful, the rightful throne. And we're going to look at kind of his life and those decisions that he made tonight, Um but the leaders of Israel convinced Jeroboam to join them in confronting Rehoboam regarding Solomon's oppressive tax burden. Uh, that was something that, again, not a wise decision, is that, um, you know, Solomon had a lot of forced labor. And a lot of forced labor, you know, may get a bad taste in their mouth for you. Um, and that's certainly the case in some of, the, in some of this situation here. Uh, of course, all of this God's will um, and, and God's sovereignty 
overseeing all of this, but uh, they assured this king that if he lightened the tax burden, that they would serve him faithfully. Rehoboam agreed to consult with the elders in Israel who urged him to become a servant leader and alleviate the tax burden. However, Rehoboam rejected their advice, and we're going to look at that, and became kind of dictator-like. And then what we have is, is we have ten tribes rebelling and even killing Rehoboam's labor secretary, um, and then we have Jeroboam becoming king and Ahijah's prophecy coming true. And we'll look at that too. Uh, Rehoboam will reign over the tribe of Judah along with uh, Benjamin, and that would form the southern kingdom, and then the other ten tribes to the northern kingdom. So we're going to look at that tonight, and that's a major decision that he's going to make, and it's going to cause the division of the kingdom. Uh, but really, what we have to do is look at this through the Davidic covenant. We have to look at the Davidic covenant as how we see Rehoboam and, and kind of these events. Obviously, the Lord's will is going to be done. Um, but we have David, his father, right? Man after God's own heart, king after Saul, who would uh, follow the Lord faithfully. Um, you know, he didn't do everything right, especially in the latter part of his life. But, um, of course, with Bathsheba and the adultery and then murder of a, her husband, um, Uriah. But um, Solomon also, in the latter part of his life, didn't really uh, live up to following the Lord. He turned from him. But the, really the difference in all three of them is repentance. Because when David um, sinned, he repented and he turned to the Lord. Nathan the prophet confronted him and said that the Lord sees your sins and saw what he did with Bathsheba and David turned to the Lord in repentance. Solomon did not. And he even went further to instill some of these uh, false gods and, and build those kind of uh, high places and things for the worship of other gods, the gods of his wives, right? They influenced him, kind of like Dr. Hawkins was talking about tonight, the kind of influence uh, they were having. But also in his son, uh, King Rehoboam, he went even further, is he had kind of come to this crossroad in his life. And on this side, he could have followed the decision, and that would lead to wise and great things. And then on this side, he's gonna, he's gonna lead, it's going to lead you to, well not so great things, and eventually the division of the kingdom. Um, and this is kind of really the decisions before we read the text that, that, is, that it came to. So the wise decision here, and kind of the key verse is, and then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? Unwise decision was, but he abandoned the counsel of the old men and took counsel with the young man who he'd grown up with and stood before him. So let's go ahead and uh, open to 1 Kings chapter 12. Let's see. I'll be reading here from the ESV. All right, I'm going to read just starting in chapter 1. Basically, what's happened here is that Solomon has reigned, and then he has slept with his father, buried in the city of David, and here's where his son Rehoboam takes the throne. So chapter 12, verse 1, Rehoboam went to Shechem, 
for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Rehoboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made a heavy, made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Go away for three days, and then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that I answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us. And the young men who had grown up with them said, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than your father's thighs. And now, whereas your father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, and the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel of the old men had given him. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with scorpions, but I'll discipline you uh, or with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought on about by the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which uh, the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents, But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. And then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was a taskmaster, over the forced labor. And all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. And there was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shammai, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up and fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word that the Lord said, and then they went home. Now, a divided kingdom. Man, he had, he, he had it right there. You know, he did, he did the right thing first. He went to the old men, the old elders of Israel, and he asked, how do you advise me and these people? And then he goes and he, he starts hanging out and backtracking to the people that he grew up with, these young men who maybe aren't so wise. And rejects the counsel of the old men and accepts the ones of the young. And that was, the old men said, let's be, let's, why don't you be a servant leader? 
And the old man says, no, you know what? Why don't you add to it? And that was really the defining point in his, in his reign, I think. Um, and so kind of what we can learn from this is, is, first off, godly wisdom comes from knowing God, right? That's the first point. You got to know God to get godly wisdom because if you don't know God through his son, Jesus Christ, you're just going to get wisdom of the world. And there's a lot of people that are in the world that, that think they're wise and they base their lives off the, the wisdom of humanity. And I loved, I had, my dad used to wear this shirt in the 80s. I could never figure out what, what it meant. It was, it was crazy. It said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I was like, what? I don't get it. You know, I was a kid. I was like, toys, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll take toys, sure. But when, as I grow up, I understand that, you know, that materialistic thing, that he who dies with the most toys, he who has is great. But that's not the truth. That's materialism. And what are we going to do? Stand before the living God and say, hey, God, look at my boat. You know, hey, God, look at, look at my great house. Look at all the things that I've done. You know, look at, look at all the money I've got in my bank account. It's not going to stand up before the living God. Apart from Christ, there's just no, no, no wisdom there. There's no chance. You don't stand a chance without him. Um, for people to understand and apply God's wisdom, they must enter into a personal relationship with the Father through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon personifies wisdom by using uh, personal pronouns in Proverbs 9.10, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This reference to wisdom does not seem to be specific celestial being. It certainly doesn't refer to Jesus Christ, who already existed in the beginning right? In fact, it was the Word who became flesh and took up residence among us, who created all things, right? John 1, 1 through 3 and 14. Solomon seems to be referring to the personification of wisdom that Jesus Christ created and in turn used to create the universe uh, as God's Son. He's, he's God, so He is wisdom. Uh, the Apostle Paul seems to allude to this section in Proverbs when he wrote to the Colossians that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in one to reach all the, the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 2 through 3. Christ's involvement in creation is also clearly correlated with the wisdom described by Solomon and highlighted in Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 17, knowing Christ personally through the indwelling Holy Spirit is to be introduced to the treasures of wisdom. That's where we have to start, right? The second point I have is that godly wisdom comes to those who are teachable. And we see with Rehoboam that he was right there at that point. And maybe he was teachable. Surely he would be influenced by his father, Solomon came to a defining point in his life, and he didn't listen to wise counsel. He listened to the youth. And I want to be clear. I mean, just because you're older doesn't mean you're wise. Because you have gray hair doesn't mean you're wise. But also because you're young doesn't mean you don't know anything. So we have some assumptions in, in culture that we got to get rid of that. But in this case, the older, the aged wisdom 
does know more than the youth. And many times that is the case, especially with those who are following Christ with their lives. Um, the last time I taught, talked about biblical conflict resolution 101, right? And one of those principles was seeking godly counsel. For Christians, we need to seek godly counsel from those who are mature Christians, aged wisdom from mature Christians. That's key to living a life of wisdom. No matter how much we know and understand, Christians should be open to learning more about God, uh, God's will and his ways. One mark of wisdom is the willingness to listen. I struggle with this all the time because uh, I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so quick to say something instead of pause and listen, even listen empathetically. Put myself in that person's shoes, right, and just say, you know what, how are they dealing with it? How are they going through it? You know, what if I was in their spot? How would I respond? Um, it, it's, it's hard to do it, but it's, it's definitely a behavior of wisdom, and it's definitely worth it to listen, right? Um, Luke explained this. Luke explained that Apollos was an eloquent man who was powerful in the use of the Scriptures in Acts 18.24. Even prior to his decision to follow Christ, he was a brilliant Jewish scholar. In spite of his knowledge of the Old Testament, Apollos didn't understand that John the Baptist's message was incomplete. Consequently, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him teaching in the synagogue in uh, Ephesus, they invited him to their home and explained the way, uh, the way of God to him more accurately, Acts 18.26. And he listened and learned, and God used his new insights to expand the true message of Christianity throughout the Roman world. He was, he was a scholar like Paul. He was, he was trained and, and knew the, the scriptures, the Old Testament. He knew it well. Yet he was still humble enough to listen and to allow Priscilla and Aquila to teach him the fullness of this message of hope that they have in Christ. And so he was able to do that more effectively uh, and go out and change the world for God. It's amazing. Listening. Listening's key. Um. And then the third point is God, godly wisdom comes to those who seek aged counsel. Okay? Christians should value the accumulated wisdom of those who are older than we are. There's a lot of wisdom in this room. And there's a table back there that I had the privilege of serving with uh, at Evergreen. And that's what I love about this class is the wisdom here. The people that are serving God and who are chasing his ways, right? Uh, because they love the Lord and they love his people. And in Evergreen, I've heard a lot of wisdom from them just serving and, and they've blessed my life. And I, I mean, I, I, one day we were getting on the van and I, I mean, I witnessed an absolute miracle. I mean, I don't, just in how this one individual responded to the other in the way that she dealt with that in a godly way, it just blew me away. And I, I never seen anything like that before. I can honestly say, and it, and it and it just really influenced and changed my life. And so I thank you for that. Um, but the third point: godly wisdom comes to those who seek aged counsel. Although growing older, of course, there's no guarantee that wisdom will follow. Generally, it's true, especially among uh, men and women who are committed to living in harmony with God's will. And this is why Peter wrote this. He wrote. In Peter, First uh, Peter five five, he wrote, "Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe, 
uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think that's strong words that we can humble ourselves, we can listen and be teachable and follow uh, this godly counsel. Um, And also Paul writes as well, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older uh, women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Uh, But throughout scriptures, younger people are encouraged to respect their elders. You know, of course, the commandment, honor your father and your mother, that's for a reason. That's for kids. That's for your benefit (laughs) because they've been there and done that. And it's wise of you to listen to their counsel. Uh, And I would just encourage you to honor them in that way. Even if you think you know everything, just take a step back, check yourself and say, Jesus, help me. I need to I need to follow mom today. (laughs) All right. It's godly. It's godly to do that. Um, but sadly, of course, today in our readings, uh, Rehoboam failed to apply this principle to his life, and it cost him dearly, cost him the kingdom. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there, now a divided kingdom because of unwise decisions. So I want to give you uh, Wisdom 101, if I can kind of like biblical conflict resolutions, kind of building off that. I actually wrote a lesson. I wrote three, and I don't know, the Lord was just saying, this isn't the one, this isn't the one, this is the one. So uh, Wisdom 101 is the Matthew 7-7 principle. I think you're all familiar with that, right? Matthew 7-7 says, um, ask and seek and knock. That's the principle behind it, right? So, Step one is ask God for wisdom through prayer. James 1.5 tells us that, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God in faith, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God wants to give wisdom to his people. There's another uh, verse, I, don't, I can't remember what it is, but, but my people die from a, are destroyed from a lack of understanding. That can be a lack of wisdom, right? Uh, Knowledge is knowing, wisdom is understanding. You weigh, you make the judgments, and then you apply it. Application in God's Word. Step two, seek spiritually mature Christians who can guide you with godly wisdom. Um, Proverbs eleven fourteen says that where there is no guidance, a people fa- uh, falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I use this all the time. An abundance of counselors, not just any counselor, but godly counselors, is people. Uh, is important. And then step three, knock on the door of godly decisions by doing or being them. James 3.17 gives us a description of wisdom. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. So how do we do that? Well, we can be gentle, right? We can approach that person in a gentle way and we can respond in a gentle way just like we can um, in a sincere way and so wisdom is is definitely worth uh, the study and, a, and worth applying to our lives so the takeaway that I have for you today is is that wise Christians are teachable they're responsive they do something with the word and we know that is the, the wisdom with is the word of God but more importantly they they pursue it 
and they apply it to their lives. Because it doesn't do you any good to know a lot and to understand about God's word, but you never do it, right? Be, be doers, not only hearers of the word, deceiving yourselves, right? So we've got to do it. We've got to be about it. And so godly wisdom is where knowing and understanding God's word becomes application. It's just where we put it in action in our lives. So um, I think the main thing that we can, that we can come away with and, and just from my studies and, and just my experiences few years on earth is that it, it's worth it. The, it's worth applying God's work to your life. And as you do that as God's people, you're going to become wise. You're going to become wise in God's ways and not the world's ways. The world still may hate you. You responded in a wise way. You applied God's word to their life and you approached that person who hates you gently. And by doing that, that is a wise decision. It's going to have eternal impact. It's not going to have temporary impact and, and, and satisfy the, the temporal and, and satisfy the, the flesh. It's going to have an eternal impact uh, and it's worth the investment. Wisdom is always worth it. And, uh, and I'm thankful for it. So I'm just going to pray for us and, and close us out. So thankful for you guys. So thankful for the opportunity to, to teach God's word to God's people. I'd never take it for granted. Heavenly Father, we praise you, God, for your grace in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and raise to life according to the scriptures, thus giving us eternal life and, and just so much more, Father. Pray for your wisdom to be upon each person of this class. I pray that we would pursue your ways and apply them to our lives each day. Lord, I pray that, that you would lead us by your spirit to be wise servants who reach out to those around us with the truth of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to follow you with all of our hearts and to love others, even our enemies. Even our enemies, Lord. It's not easy. But I pray that. And I pray for your blessing this week as we go from here to make an eternal impact for your kingdom, God. Let the glory be given to you our God and our Savior, in Jesus' name.